drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. It is drive-by cinema, season two, and this represents the third episode 16 in a row. Well, <laughs> Here's my co-host, Paul. Hi, everybody, and here's my co-host, Richard. Wow, three episodes succeed. I mean, that's success in a certain sort of way, isn't it? Paul, I think it's because you've stopped counting on your fingers and toes, or whatever you were using, <laughs> which episode you were on. I would use my teeth, but I've got none left. I got the episode number wrong, but I'm sure you will have fixed it in editing somehow. I used to use perhaps. my teeth, you know, but I used to pull them out every time I got, you know, to a new number, so that's why. I'm <laughs> a bit gummy these days. No, yeah, so it is actually 18, I think, episode 18. Episode 18, okay. Now, last week, of course, we did watch a field in England, which was largely about some soldiers in a field in England. And Richard, do we have any corrections or input on that movie from, from last week? I don't know yet. I'm expecting a lot of history-based <laughs> corrections from people who know anything about it. Incredibly, we got through. Like, I got through the entire podcast without actually having looked up the things I knew I didn't know. So, like, if you if you like, almost a triumph of ignorance that podcast. Yeah, it takes a lot of self-discipline to achieve that. A Trumpian moment, so. I think, for us. Yeah, I mean, our truth is as good as anyone's. So, yeah. Yeah, it's as good as QAnon's, at least. Look, right, so, well, I've got nothing to say about that movie or what we said about that movie, unless somebody's going to pull me up for it. So I think we're clean and dry and running running towards the exit uh, through the airport, aren't we? <laughs> With 400 Fortuna cigarettes stuffed down our feeler jackets. How are things with you, Paul? What's been going on? I'll tell you what I've done. I've been doing some home improvements. I oh, replaced my wow. toilet seat yesterday. <laughs> Because, just... I'm, because my fat ass lockdown self sat on the old one and broke it. Cleaning too. What? How do you do that? Like I'm a big I, boy I and know. I always like. For me, it, I don't break the toilet seats. It's just my weight. Just kind of. I don't sit down straightforwardly, so it kind of the hinges just go eventually with me, and it gets wobbly. And then when it gets wobbly, then it goes. But you broke it in two, like in like in the flappy mouthy bit, or yeah. Yeah, in the in the ring that you sit on. Yeah, you broke snapped. the ring from the flappy mouthy bit. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's an so, achievement. Obviously, Richard. I know, I know. I've replaced it now, though. I've got so let me ask: one. Did you do it yourself, or did you get somebody? Did you get Did you get old Sparky or whatever, or, or Woody? I to did it myself. It? I did it myself. You can anyone can replace a toilet seat. It's straightforward, really. Oh, it's that simple. <laughs> I had to turn my neighbour well, down. She said, uh, you know, can you put my fridge door on the other side so it opens on the right instead of the left? Oh, fuck, no. It's not an easy job. Mental. That is not no, an easy isn't. job. Hellfire. They, do you know what? They've got loads of little adjustment things, those fridge door hinges. You know, to move like where the door mates with the, the I fridge. Took, and, I took one look at it and said, no, sorry, no, I can't do that. Very complicated. I said, do you want your water, flowers watering instead? She said, yeah. So we compromised in the end. I I I I suspect that she thinks I have some sort of degenerative um, dementia. Actually, oh, she's trying to keep you engaged. No, this is it because I found out she used to. to I found out she used to be care worker. You see, and then oh. I, I, down on YouTube, separate, I was looking at how care workers engage with people with dementia, and it's all. Oh like, yes. Would you like to do this for me? And it's always like make sure that they think they're the ones. It's like it's very deceptive and manipulative. Actually, what they do is like make sure they're the ones that think they're coming up with the ideas. Like, don't say get out of bed, take your socks off, or put your socks up, uh, or 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 I'm going to be angry. You've got to say, hey, I could really Would help. Be a good you. idea. I could really uh. help you take that duvet off if if you wanted to do that kind of thing. And it's exactly the way she talks to me. <laughs> so so I don't know. I was like, I think I've entered the matrix world of uh, of uh, residential care and, you know, palliative care. <laughs> Imagine if, if you were to do new music in the podcast. Then when I'm editing this episode, I could slot it in there. If you just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Help. I never knew I'd be pitted so quickly and so early on in my life. But there we go. It happens, doesn't it? Look. Okay. So, yeah. We were talking last week about people taking recreational drugs and thinking, oh, yes. you know, thinking about being in the Cluck Tricks or the Matrix or the Big the big Eggics. 
Well, it seems like I'm in there anyway without taking this stuff, so I might as well go and take it, hey? Yep, well, that's all right. If you, uh... I've got a podcast partner who's manipulating me to, to, to produce what <laughs> I don't want to produce. Is it time to introduce this week's movie after a short musical interlude? Yeah, of, of, of music that hasn't been changed. <laughs> Because this movie, Paul, is also treated to the Corridor Crew's treatment of special effects in movies. Wow, okay. If you are going to release a sizzle reel, or I guess we might call it a trailer for this movie, it wouldn't be difficult, would it? There's just so much special effects going on in here that there's, you know, if you were to highlight some of the best, better special effects or, you know, the, uh, the uh, bigger, bangier special effects in this movie, you wouldn't be hard-pressed to make, you know, to find... To find source material. I, I would say, you know, at least 30 minutes of this movie is special effects, isn't it? It is jam-packed, jam-packed. with special effects yeah. on-screen action. They Bursting out like a jack-in-a-box. Yeah. Yeah. But wait, what is this movie? This movie is 2012. And that's not the year it was made. So, it's nearly made in uh, 2012. 2011 was, was made. made. 2011, but the actual movie's name itself is 2012. Well, given that the premise is a disaster taking place in 2012... Not a bad name, uh, I guess it, it would have been important for them to get it out before then, wouldn't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise it seems a bit silly. fourth wall, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is based on the somewhat crazy, or totally crazy idea that people had that 2012 was going to be the end of the world. Why? Was this to do with Dan Brown and that movie he made? I don't know. When did that come out? Two thousand Da Vinci Code or something. <laughs> was it Da Vinci Code big on the end of the world? No, that's a completely different thing, wasn't it? It was because of the Mayan calendar. Ah, okay. In this movie, not just the Mayan calendar, the Mayan quiche calendar. Whatever quiche that calendar. is. The Mayan quiche <laughs> calendar, yeah. Quiche spelt as in quiche, Q U I C H E. I don't know what Right, they had there. a calendar for them. Yeah. <laughs> right. A topless pie calendar. Find out where the slice of ham is next to the sweet corn. That do you is like when... quiche? Do you get on By quiche, do you mean the, 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 the pie or the people? What's the Because you can describe. Because, I mean, like, when I was at college, you know, I was often described as, as a quiche. Oh, Paul, stop being such a quiche. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. Well, given the demographic of the people I went to college with, I think yes. it was implied I was a Guardian reading kind of uh, middle class. No, not middle class. Uh, oh. Certainly not. Uh, that wasn't oh. the slur. I don't think. I mean, everybody was middle class there. Uh, yeah, Guardian, Guardian reading, kind of uh, wishy washy. Faint-hearted. Sandal-wearing. Sandal-wearing, lentil-eating kind of quiche. Yeah. So accurate, in a sense, in terms of what they were trying to derogate. The thing about quiche is it's topless pie with a material in it, which I think is made of egg, is it, is it not? Uh, it could also mean that I've lost my head, because you know it has no head, does it, a quiche? It's a topless, open, ah, It's a cabriolet pie. <laughs> cabriolet <laughs> But that material in a quiche is—it's egg, right? No, it's, it's 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 post-nuclear. That's the, like the, the the firmament that makes quiche is incredible. Apart from the pastry, like there's there's right. the, this is like this weird otherworldliness to the rubberiness to 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 the egginess, eggy parts of quiche. But it, that yellow stuff—it's like savoury custard. It is, yeah, savoury that- custard, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just trying to establish that, really. It's You're a big fan of quiche, science. aren't you? My only problem with quiche is it is reminiscent of having, like, an egg custard tart with... With like, savoury bits, yeah. 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 <laughs> What's the it's sauce? It's to shake there. that. Once, once you've got that idea in your mind, it's difficult to shake, isn't it? So it's the Mayan, the Mayan quiche calendar. Okay, there's a predict- predictivity... Uh, happening. There's a predi- no. productivity factor of, of Earth Not ending really. at 2012. 
Is that no? Is that just true the, or not? The way they did the maths, the way they did the maths, you know. Well, it's mentioned in this movie, so just the way the men did the math it, is that the cycles of the different cycles they were tracking, you know, run for a long time, that six hundred forty thousand years or whatever, and so consequently, depending on when they thought it started, that it would it would kind of run out in ah. two thousand and twelve. But it's no different. It's no different from our calendars running out on thirty first of December. You know, we don't think, uh oh, now the calendar's run out. The world is going to end. We go out and get another calendar. You know, and the Mayans would have been no different. You know, it just goes round to the beginning again. You know, they would have gone zero 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 one or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was the ridiculous premise behind a real world. New Age nonsense about the world ending in 2012, which is where Roland Emmerich, the OTR disaster movie director, got the idea for doing this movie from. In fact, he said it was going to be his last disaster movie. Turned out it wouldn't be his last disaster movie, but there we go. I suppose he probably thought the world would have ended and it would have to have been his last. Well, uh, two weeks ago I said uh, Cabin in the Woods which was the sort of a post-teen uh, meta-horror-fest, is the only way I can really meta describe horror, it. yes. Yeah, very good, yeah. Uh, is the only way I can really describe it. I, I said it would be great if the guy manning the petrol station was played by Woody Halson. <laughs> this time. And this time. Your wish was granted. We get almost exactly the same character. Like, weird, not quite redneck, kind of freaky guy living in the woods. Played by Woody Harrelson. So there we go. (laughs) I spoke too soon. The star is John Cusack playing... We don't see much of him these days, do we? Oh, why is that? He was big back then, wasn't he, ten years ago? John Cusack is an author in this uh, film. He's written a book about... Actually, what was it about? Something to do with Atlantis? Yes. And he gets condemned. He gets pounded by the critics for being an optimist about human nature. But he's got a side hustle. He's got a side hustle, which is driving a huge limousine. Now, I never really got that bit, Richard. Why is he driving an absolutely gigantic government limousine? It's not a government limousine. It's a limousine for a Russian oligarch. Who he works for. And he's driving it because he, yeah, he needs a job, doesn't he? Because his book isn't selling very well. And it's a good job he is a limousine driver because his own vehicle doesn't start when he really needs it to. It doesn't, does it? No, it's a bit of luck, though, isn't it? If only they had Baba Vanga around. Do you remember Baba Vanga? What? No, what's that? The legendary grandmother clairvoyant. What? Baba Vanga. <laughs> she could have told them that this, this earth was ending. <laughs> I've never heard of her. You she must have. She was famous. Yeah. How do you know about Mother Shipton? What do you mean, how do I know about Mother Shipton? She's not a famous Mother Shipton. She's a pendle witch, isn't she? She's more famous than Baba Vanga. Oh, I would... I would contend. Where did Baba Vanga live? Baba Vanga lived in the old Soviet bloc. She was a Bulgarian, uh, Bulgarian mystic. She was known as Grandmother Vanga and Baba Vanga. Baba, I think, means grandmother in Bulgarian. Uh, she died mid nineties, uh, and uh, she was like famous for predicting nine eleven, uh, Barack Obama. Depending on how you interpreted her, her, her babbling. Okay, so she was like she was like Nostradamus then. She was a, she was a modern day Nostradamus, anyone. but she was also blind too. So that makes it doubly like mystical, man. Yeah, hmm. Baba Vanga could have told these people, "Look, you're in deep shit. You need to get your houses now. Run away." Because I mean, ten minutes into this movie, that's what happens. You know, it doesn't waste much time, does it? This movie. We're ten Hold minutes on. in. We've also we've, we've the, also got the to meet the other the other hero of the movie played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, our scientist hero, geologist, ultimately geologist of the White House, like the presidential geologist. Presidential geologist. Very, yeah, very natural hero for this kind yeah, of. Boss, let me look at your rock formations. Well, he is visiting a copper mine in India. He is, yes. Yes. Where, where it's not where, copper mine anymore. No. What no, is an it? Indian scientist. He has converted the copper mine into, I think it's a neutrino detector. It's a deep It's space. a neutrino trap, yeah. yeah. Do you, so th- these are real things. This is it has to be very long because it takes a long time to trap a neutrino. 
Yeah, they don't. They don't interact with anything. They don't interact. That's right. So, so it's essentially they don't to... exist. And if they don't interact, they don't exist because the only thing we measure things is by interactions. Yeah. So yeah. they do so exist, but essentially they don't exist. Yeah. Uh, so what you do is you you create an enormous volume of material, and usually it's some organic solvent. I think they use, isn't it? Typically, and you then put very sensitive detectors all around, and you watch for these particles going through because. And and you put them deep underground, because any normal particles would not be able to reach this this tank. But the neutrinos, which are streaming through the Earth and everybody and everything uh, all the time, can reach this tank, and they will occasionally interact with some of the atoms in your detector tank. And you watch for those scintillations, and that's how you detect neutrinos. And so, and therefore, we know that they do actually exist. So there we go. However, something something really weird has happened to the sun. We'll get to it. We'll back really to weird. We'll get back to that in just a second. But the upshot is, and I quote here: mutated neutrinos, <laughs> like they're a living organism or something. Like the, the neutrinos have mutated into something. What into a werewolf? I mean. So that was a laugh out loud moment. But what weird thing has happened to the sun to, to mutate the neutrinos, Richard? Neutrinos, any ideas? Oh, that's never really explained. Something's happening to the sun. Well, we all know the solar was... flares, but these are massive solar oh, we... flares. The past month has been well, course... really big solar flares, twice as big. And then he says, no, yeah. no, the last few days, much, much worse than that. But we never really hear, do we, what happened to the sun? I think we're supposed to assume it's something to do with the syzygy of planetary bodies that the Mayan calendar's zero 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 represents. Oh. You know, oh, we're supposed to believe in the Mayan stuff, are we? Uh, that's well, not just like is that that's not just like a spooky sort of referencing. Like, do you know, Alice was talking about swans in uh, some movie we watched about going to going to going to the is it Io. Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. They agree, There's no uh, suggestion there that the, the, the mythology is, is somehow, <laughs> you know, some portent of what's happening. So it's not used, ah, like, well, it's no, not used artistically on. here, is it? It's used as like the males were right. Is that what you're saying? The, the, well, you know, the, the scientists in this film don't do a very good job, do they? Let's face it. But one of them, one of the other American scientists is played by, um, what's he called? John Billingsley, who's been in Star Trek and stuff. And... He's Professor West. And he has this line at one point where he says, all our scientific advancement, our fancy machines, the Mayan saw this coming thousands of years ago. <laughs> well, he makes a good point. You know, if the, if, if, you know, if the upshot of all our scientific advancement is the end of the end of the earth and the end of civilization as we know it, which includes science, uh, but it's just been made pointless and defunct by the fact that it hasn't stopped the end of the earth. <laughs> then we might as well just drink each other's blood anyway. Do you know what I mean? It's like, why, 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 why try and better yourself? Like, he makes a Don't very, throw me very down the cigarettes, please. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a superb the point. Jaguar gods. Anyway, Listen. so this block gets back from India, tries to get into contact Hold with on. the John. The, the other oh. thing about... But the, what's important about these neutrinos being mutated, Paul, as they explain... <sighs> Using it's, the oh, it's like a giant microwave it's, for the inside the of the earth. <laughs> and then he opens the lid to show the inside of the earth. There's some boiling water in the middle of the earth. <laughs> what is going on there? And I think this comes from a popular misconception about microwaves, you know, because people often say how microwaves heat things up from the inside out, right, don't they? Yes. You often hear that. Do you know, Do you know? first of all, is that is that a fact, Paul? Well, let's slow down on this, okay? So, first of all, <laughs> the first thing to say about microwaves is if you take the door off the microwave and let it still function, <laughs> it's probably not going to cook your liver unless you stand right in front of it, okay? No. It's not a good idea. It will hurt you, and it will go through your brain and cook your brain a little bit. But unless your brain gets to more than 55 degrees, you know, you can you can stand in front of that microwave all day, and 35 degrees, 4 degrees – it's not going to do any harm to you, you see, because I mean, the only harm it does is when it overheats cells, not when it's. Yeah. It's not radiation. No. It's, just it's just going to heat you up. Yeah, you're going to feel warm. Aren't it's you? a it's bloody radio move, wave for crying away. out loud. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's a radio wave. The ra- wave itself is harmless apart from the effect it has on your body. You know, it's not a radiative. It's not a, a, a radioactive wave. So that's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is. 
you can put metal things in a microwave. It doesn't explode. It just really heats them up. That's all that happens. Mm. If it's tinfoil and stuff like that, of course it will pop. Yeah. But you can put metal cans in there. Nothing dangerous is going to happen apart from you burn your fingers when you try and get the can out. Okay, so on to you, Rich. What do you want to say about microwaves? People seem to think that microwaves cook from the inside out because the way microwaves work, right, is those radio waves you've described. What they're doing is jiggling water molecules. I That's think. right, yeah. Make, making them rotate. And they have, that that is, the resonant frequency of water molecules is like th- that radio wave, isn't it, or something like that? That's right. Yeah. So the radio waves are dumping their energy into the water, and the water is heating up. And most foods have got water all through them. You know, they're typically moist, aren't they? Yes. And that's how microwaves heat your food up very efficiently because they're heating, you know, the food kind of throughout the blob of food you put in the microwave. It's getting heated up, you know, sort of all at the same time. Whereas, contrast that with a conventional hob or an oven, you apply heat to one side or to the air around it. Yes. And it slowly heats up from the outside in. And conduction has to do the rest of it for you, which takes 15 or 20 minutes. So it's not actually that microwaves heat up from the inside out. It's just that other they forms don't of cooking don't aren't, aren't, don't not, do that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and in fact, of course, um, a microwave will be blocked by water as it gets absorbed. So, like, it, although it's less prevalent um, and that it is heating through more efficiently, uh, if you've got very wet food, it won't be heated in the middle in a microwave because it will have been absorbed by the stuff around it. And you'll have to leave it in there longer, of course. So the weird thing is, we you know, we literally get this shot in the copper mines of him opening up the insides of the earth, whatever that is. And inside <laughs> there, there's a boiling vat of water that the it's neutrinos have boiling. That's his detector, Paul. No, it's not. That's the inside of the earth. <laughs> look, look how hot Same it's difference. got. Yeah. I like like they're hot down there, but they're not boiling. So it literally is heating up from the inside. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, also so, of course we know something's going to go does, wrong it, pretty quickly. It does seem to to neglect the fact that the centre of the Earth is already shockingly horrifying. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and full of lava. You know. Absolutely. Um, it, yeah, it's molten rock and steel and nickel. <laughs> A hero geologist having worked out heads that, back to the US. Neutrinos are microwaving the core of the Earth. <laughs> he goes immediately back to Washington, where there's a party happening. He gate crashes it successfully. Well, he has to ask a friend of his to give him his jacket for some reason, because it's a white tie event. That's right, yeah. Or black tie event, one of the two. Uh, and apparently just putting on somebody else's dinner jacket, that's good enough for the bouncers. I don't know why. Anyway, he crashes it and gets to meet some important bloke. He says, right, come with me. Where to? Oh, we're going to meet the president. Yeah. Um, by the way, you're working for me now. Yeah. So, like, I thought this was all very old-fashioned. This is the first real old-fashioned moment of the movie, I thought. Uh, so, and then we cut to John Cusack, don't we, and his family. John Cusack's character is estranged from his wife. She's living with, uh, you know, another guy, raising two kids of John Cusack's little girl and a little boy. So... You know he's he's a uh, he's going to pick his kids up, isn't he? Because he's got them for the weekend. That's right. He's going to take them camping. Um, but he couldn't get his normal car to start, so he takes his his work limo instead to go camping. His plan is to go to uh, are they going to Yellowstone? They're going to Yellowstone, aren't they? And he's going to camp there with his with his two kids. Whereas his ex wife is going to stay with her new boyfriend, Gordon. And, uh, and you know, presumably have some jollies. And so, he's a plastic surgeon, isn't he, Gordon? That's right, yeah. But also a trainee pilot, which will become important later. <laughs> and that was another really old-fashioned moment of the movie, I thought. But anyway, so they head off to Yellowstone, which I'm guessing is near to California, is it? I don't know if it is that near to California. Well, it, I mean, California's quite big. They're in Los Angeles, aren't they? Yeah. I don't think it's that near Los Angeles. It's no, fucking miles it's, off. It's, a, it's like yeah. it's states away. It's like away. a thousand miles or something. It's more than a thousand miles away. <laughs> it's definitely not a day's drive. It's it's two days' drive. You know. Anyway, they head off. Well, you know, you know. <laughs> but they don't head off because 
as he is about to pick them up, he can't start his car, so he takes his boss's limo. Yeah. yeah we've done that, but yeah. Oh, we've done that. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're not paying any attention to Can me, you cut right? that out, please? <laughs> yeah. Not I mean, now. Can you I cut can't. out what I said? I don't mean cut out how you're speaking to me. You're quite. I did listen to you. I'm just stupid, Richard. That's something you failed to realize. <laughs> Anyway. No, you're doing very well, Paul. Thank you. You're doing very well. And I'm sure when you do the new music as well. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's see who can get this duvet off the quickest. <laughs> Me or you. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, you've been so helpful today, Paul. Thank you. Now, really? we're missing a bit of a side plot. You know, because oh, oh, the president's not. daughter, the president's daughter, he's going has been the... going around. He's been going around collecting works of art. What is why. all that about? She's she taking the Mona Lisa. Did she nick them? <laughs> no, she... It's all anyway, been agreed. Gets... Let us, we let to find out. Like all the presidents of the world have agreed to let her do this. Yeah, but she's organised it secretly, and nobody's found out about it. Not even the Guardian or the Observer. So there you go. But she gets. <laughs> I, I... It's a mark of this movie that the sentence I'm about to utter makes the slightest bit of sense. But the president's daughter gets a late night call from the president or the, the manager of the Louvre, <laughs> who's angry <laughs> that she's taken the Mona Lisa uh, and where she told him it was being taken to, she's gone to see and it's, it's not, there, not there, it's empty. <laughs> and as he's on the call... She's made a perfect her, copy He enters the same tunnel... Princess Diana died in, and his Citroen gets blown up by a bomb. I forgot about that. <laughs> Flips over, and he's dead. And and somehow it's not in the before he can warn her. Please find out where the Mona Lisa is, or something. Like <laughs> so, look, meanwhile, okay. John Cusack is in Yellowstone with his kids, yeah. and they meet a crazy Woody Harrelson, don't they? They hear him on the radio first. And so it's Woody Harrelson playing that kind of person in the woods. Fairly well played. I thought Nicolas Cage might have done it better, to be honest with you. <laughs> they are interchangeable in this sense. Yeah, no question. The children don't cry at any point, despite this man being very scary. Uh, and he's howling about the end of the world, etc., etc., etc. Now he tells he tells John Cusack to download his blog or something. And then shows him a YouTube video. YouTube video. <laughs> that he made himself quite well done, actually. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And then the end of the world just starts happening at that point, does it? <laughs> There's a huge earthquake at that point, isn't there, in Los Angeles? There is in Los Angeles. Yeah, this is back with... So, literally, we're 15 minutes in and the world's just started ending. So, he doesn't hold back this movie, does it? Well, it's starting off with earthquakes, you know. And you expect those in Los Angeles, don't you? You're going to get those. Yeah, not 11.2 point. Point on the Richter scale, Richter scale, though, Richard. They're in the supermarket, aren't they? And they're having a discussion about... He's saying to her... This is... Sorry, when I say they, I mean John Cusack's ex-wife and her new bloke. Kate. They've gone Kate to and the Gordon. supermarket. Kate and Gordon. And they're having an argument, and he's suspicious of her feelings toward John Cusack's character. And he says to her, you know, I feel like there's something between us. Whoa. At which point, <laughs> which point a massive crack opens up in the supermarket oh. aisle right between them. <laughs> right, okay. So that, so then Los Angeles essentially just gets destroyed, doesn't it? They run back home and like John Cusack is like, get out of there. You've got to get out of the city. Is that right? Yeah, I think they call him, and she says that she's got. To, he's got to bring the kids back. So they come back all the way from Yellowstone Park. <laughs> yeah, well, he's already been apprehended by the government. That's right. Because I'm, yes, you're right. He, he walked into like a, a a sort of field of geezers and stuff, and there's like a, a dead dead buffalo or something. But he thought it was fine to take his kids there still. And as he's standing there, oh, they cross the little tape that the government have put up. And Woody Harrelson's like, he's on the mountainside watching up saying, this is great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm really seeing the man at work here. Wow. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So he's already headed back to Los Angeles. Or maybe he's flown back. Well, he met Chiwetel Ejiofor, who was apparently at Yellowstone, looking at how the... Now, there is an actual super volcano under Yellowstone, isn't there? Yes. And it's was or is one of the biggest volcanic or magma 
sort of chambers in the world. And I think the theory is at some point it's going to blow up again. Woo-hoo. So the whole area is like changing in elevation as a consequence of the rising magma field. Um, so there's some scientific truth to the notion that Yellowstone is going to go go up one day. But it's not Yellowstone that goes up, it's the whole of the world, starting off with, starting off with Los Angeles. So he's back in Los Angeles and he knocks on the door and says, look, we've got to get out of here to his wife. Is that right? I'm confused. That's right, yes. No, okay. Well, there's an earthquake happening when he arrives. His wife and Gordon are taking the kids underneath the kitchen table. And he runs in and says, come out of that safe place <laughs> into the car. <laughs> and then we get the first major act- action scene, which is... You've also, we've, also missed, we've also missed something, which is his boss, Yuri, has told him to go and pick his kids up from school. I see. Because Yuri... Yuri, the Russian guy, is in has, on something. He's had a, a ticket bought to a, a sort of art yeah. ship, uh, which is going to save humanity when everybody dies. Let's just so, stop there. Okay, so so one, there's an arc that's being. This is what I think the president, presidential daughter is doing is she's she's collecting all the great art in the world. Is that right for this purpose to put on the arc? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Two, there's an arc that all the presidents of the, the pan presidential agreement. For all the important people in each country to meet up there and survive, apart from the Italians who, who wing it <laughs> our prayer. And uh, at some point they say, well, you know, typical anti conspiracy theory uh, argument, quite a valid one. It's like, well, somebody will obviously have found out about this. Uh, and that's not answered actually in the movie, it's just left unanswered. So uh, I don't know what's going on there. So, yeah, so he's in on this. And so he, obviously he wants to get his kids away because he's paid a billion pounds to get, to get on that sh- ark ship. Kind of thing. Interestingly, uh, John Cusack's son is called Noah. So there we go. Hey, so yeah, but now, okay, so now the action happens. They're in the limousine, yeah, and I think they're in the limousine or back in back in his old car. I, I don't know. No, no, that's right. They they, they jump in the limousine, and, the, uh, and you know the earthquake happens, and it just chases them down the road in every conceivable form. So exploding tankers. You know, uh, the road turning into a, a, a wave chasing, you know, and that kind of thing. <laughs> Gaps appearing and things exploding, you know, random wheels flying at them. It's just continuous, isn't it? John Cusack seems to have concluded, having met Woody Harrelson one time and him ranting about the end of the world. Yeah. He seems to have concluded that now an earthquake is happening in Los, Los Angeles, which, as I say, you know, is... Like a thing is that is going to happen once every ten years. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna it's gonna slip, and there's gonna be a big earthquake. He's concluded that this means that everything Woody Harrelson said is absolutely true. So now his plan is to get his kids out of Los Angeles completely. So can I just say, for 2012, the special effects in terms of convincing explosions and big natural disaster kind of things. It's really good in this first in this first scene, this first disaster scene. Uh, however, the pacing of it is just too continuous, and you know the way the car just happens to escape everything that's thrown at it, thrown at it is just relatively unconvincing. Let's just leave it as that. But the CGI itself is really good for the for the era. The, yeah, the visual effects are amazing, but as you say, there's only so much. Uh, on the edge of your seat tension that you're prepared to put up with before yeah. it just becomes routine. At least so many times can it just escape in the nick of time, you know, with this sort of boiling smoke cloud of destruction behind it. You really want to direct the direct the director towards a Bond film and, you know, look at the crescendos and the car chases there. You know, it's not... Every second isn't, you know, with the baddies right behind Bond, you know, doing things at him, is it? You know, so... Like, they need to go and watch some movies about how it's actually done, I think, rather than just throw a lot of CGI at it. But, yeah, overkill. They get chased out of Los Angeles like crazy, and they go to Santa Monica Airport, where he's just dropped off Yuri. And he'd found a guy with a private plane, and he'd given him a watch and said, I want a plane out of here. So they arrive there. The pilot's dead for some reason. Not clear why. And he's filled, he's filled the petrol up. He's filled the gas in the tank there. He's gassed, he's gassed the plane up. Apparently, Gordon, as you say, is doing private Training pilot, pilot lessons. Convenient. So they, they convince him that he can fly this plane that he's never seen before. He does really well. They get everybody on board. And it's once like again, Back to the now, Future. He has to get to 88 miles an hour or something before he'll take off. But 
He yeah, there's a takeoff it. speed. It's perfectly and sensible. three times but this course. movie, three times this movie, they're not quite at takeoff speed, but somehow the runway falls away or a, a cliff <laughs> appears so that they can dip down and gain speed as they fall down and then recover. It happens but, three well, times, it. amazingly. We've, we've had one daredevil escape from destruction in a limousine. Then they get to the airport, and the airport disintegrates right behind them as right. they take off. It's the same thing, you know. <laughs> You know, there's waves of earthquake just undulating beneath them in the car and in the taking off aeroplane. So, same scene, essentially, just different machines. And where are they flying to? Back to Yellowstone, naturally. Of course, sensible place to go. Uh, the place where, where there's a massive supergiant volcano about to explode. Simply because John Cusack wants to go to see Woody Harrelson. I think he wants to get the map off him, doesn't he? Yeah. So, they land the plane at an airstrip in Yellowstone. And they start refilling it with fuel. He says, I'm going off to see Woody and I'll take the daughter with me in an RV, of all things. That they just found at the airstrip, like, as you do. Guess what happens after they see Woody? As soon as they see Woody, of course, the whole of Yellowstone starts explodes. exploding. I guess for the third time, they're in a vehicle escaping <laughs> the Earth, swallowing them up. Amazing. So this time they're in an RV... Yeah, the RV and all around them, there's volcanic bombs are dropping. You know, huge rocks and lava blobs ejected from the yeah the caldera are falling all around them, like missiles. And at one point, it destroys the rear of the RV. Still got four wheels or whatever, thankfully. But the back of the RV is on fire. His daughter is with him because he thought it'd be sensible to take his daughter with him to go to see Woody Harrelson. I don't know why. He. Does a death sort of death-defying jump off a bit of, you know, upturned uh, earth crust that's poking up, which just makes it onto the onto the airfield, doesn't he? And sends his girl out, and he grabs a map out of the RV. Oh, too late! The aeroplane's taking off. <laughs> and, <laughs> and once again, for that now, the, this is the fourth time in what the first half an hour of the film. There's, John Cusack is now now running after a plane. As the ground well, is trying to swallow him up, yeah. He's running after a plane that's taking off and catches up with it, which means, therefore, it's probably taking off at less than 12 miles an hour. In which case, why not just stop the aeroplane and wait for it to let him catch up? Do you know what I mean? If he's only doing 12 miles an hour, then let him get in and then take off. It was so, so, so stupid, wasn't it, really? And where the hell are they flying to now? Oh, I don't know, but he, they just managed to escape. There's not really enough runway, but guess what? Just as they're taking off the runway, like uh, the whole ground ahead of the <laughs> runway collapses into a giant cliff and they can drop down and gain some speed. So they're okay. Wow. Yeah. So not old fashioned at all, this movie. But there we go. Well, John Cusack realizes looking at the map, they're going to have to go to China and they realize they need a bigger plane. So for some reason, they decide the place to go is McCarran International Airport in Las Vegas. True. But hasn't the president just died? The president, I think, is in the process of dying, yeah, because wow. he refuses to board the plane to board Air Force One to take him and the rest of the, the White House to the Chinese... So he has a young stand-in. ...mountaintop. Is that his vice president? He does. You mean Chiwetel's boss? I don't know. The guy at the end who delivers the emotional plea on why they should let the drawbridge down and let thousands of people overcrowd <laughs> the that's, space that's station. That's the presidential geologist. Oh, so he becomes the president. Wow. He doesn't become the president. He just... The acting you know, president. You know, it, it's the chain of command, Paul. If the president is unavailable, if the, if the vice president isn't around, the next person in line is the presidential geologist. That's okay, it it's become explicit. They're all going to China, all these presidents of the world, to join up and survive the end of the world. Is that right? Now, Paul, you said, you said of this film that they don't know anything about pacing. But at this point, at this point, we get... A moment of quiet reflection of Buddhist meditation, effectively. Yeah. As a Buddhist monk and his mentor, I don't know what you call them, are contemplating a view it's somewhere in the Tibetan Himalayas, I think. Yeah. And the old man, he asks him a question, an impudent question, I think. The old man uh, pours too much tea in his cup. He literally spills the tea. Wow. Uh, and at the same time tells him... He drops a truth bomb on him, doesn't it? About if you're full of speculation and and opinions, you know you won't you won't understand. You won't see the wisdom of things. I think that's what you're trying to say. Right. Well, that's me taught then. 
so, but well, this Buddy Smudge is going to become very important later, isn't he? Oh God, yes. his, please. His brother apparently. Oh no, he's working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got movie overload at this point. It was just <laughs> fucking hell. The Buddy Smunk takes. Uh, a I admire your patience, turn. Richard, because I, 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 it was already wearisome for me halfway through. I mean, we haven't even got to the bit yet where... Oh, please. It's almost feeling like torture now, actually. At McCarran International Airport, Cusack and his family, he meets up with the Russian family. And oh, the Russians God. got an Antonov cargo plane. Yeah, what is all that about? Full of his luxury cars, which they can fly to China in. Well, they get the whole family on board. And, and then the, the, the the Russian and the and Gordon, who, you know, I don't think he's got a license, does he? He's only ever flown a Cessna. I think this is supposed to be a moment of humorous bathos. He's asked to fly the plane and can't do. <laughs> yeah, but the Russian henchman can fly it, can't he? Yeah, and and I'm sure he's probably ex-Russian uh, military, so that's fine. The thing about the Antonov is, I don't think the cargo hold is pressurized, so I don't think they would be able to breathe in. The cargo hold. Anyway, just a point. Uh, as, wow. if, as if I need to bring any scientific realism <laughs> into the movie at this point. Because the other amazing thing about this is although they do escape from the United States that's blowing up everywhere, and they fly over Hawaii, and all the volcanoes on Hawaii have gone off. But at some point, they're nearly overtaken by ash and stuff. Uh, and of course, they just about escape. But the henchman says... For the fifth time. <laughs> the oh, henchman fire. guy says... Oh, wait a minute. No, when, when, when the big Russian plane's taking off, they escape again for the fifth they do, time. Yeah. So, so the sixth yeah. time they escape the, you know, the not the ground swallowing up, but the, 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 the sky swallowing up the behind ash them. Cloud, yeah. The ash cloud racing behind them. Something racing behind them for the sixth bloody time. Yeah. But then they get to the Himalayas. And then well, what? no, they don't because no, because the Russian says we won't make it. We don't oh, have enough fuel. Crikey. We're going to have to ditch. But it turns out that actually they do have enough fuel because the Earth crust has shifted fifteen hundred miles. <laughs> <laughs> and I think John Cusack goes, "Oh yeah, the crust will shift." Like he's he's heard about that from Woody well, Harrelson. No, we have an explainer. We have. Uh... We have exposition at this point. You know, we cut to a diagram. I think one of the geologists explained it. It's, it's called the crust displacement theory from 1956 or something. <laughs> that if you have enough mutated neutroni- neutroniums, whatever, whatever <laughs> mutated thing a neutrino becomes, let's call it a neutronium, uh, boiling the microwave in the middle of Earth, then <laughs> it will become so hot that, like, you know, like, uh, like, like, like ice that you skated on, it will there will be like a sheet of fluidity between everything, and the whole of the crust will lift off its mantle and kind of float slower than it what it was spinning before. I mean, it's all spinning anyway, so why would it why would it move anyway? I don't know why it would move if it's already spinning at the right speed. <laughs> There's a bit where they go, uh, are you you're saying are you saying the North Pole is now in Wisconsin, <laughs> Professor Westcott? No, that's, 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 that's the South Pole. That's terrible. <laughs> So, they do have enough fuel and they arrive at the International Coward Escape Pod. Is that right? They, they crash land, don't they? They still have to crash land in, in Tibet. Uh, but they, it's okay because they drive a Bentley out of the back of the Antonov while it's still in motion. They have no keys, but it is voice activated and the Russian oligarch paid for that. So, that was another moment, I think, of humour that we were supposed to notice in the movie. And they get apprehended by Chinese military who accept Yuri's claim that he's got a ticket, but he only takes he and his two twin sons, and he wow. leaves the rest of them, including his very attractive younger girlfriend and her dog, with John Cusack and their family. So he's really betrayed them, hasn't he? But it's okay, because they managed to walk through the, through the Himalayas. <laughs> until... Yes, you do. <laughs> Without a compass, come to a... or without Wi-Fi, or or or, or 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 any kind of, 
you know, GP, GPR, GPS signal. But hey, let's not worry about that. Sorry, Richard, where do they get to? Well, they get to a road and they find the Buddhist monk driving up the road. What a coincidence! In the back of <laughs> In the back oh, of a pickup. With his family, with his mother and grandmother and grandfather. Is that right, yeah? That's right. And it seems he's got, he's got a plan. Along. He's got a plan to get on board one of the ships that's been built high in the mountains. Spaceships, you talked about, yeah? Well, that's or what airships. everyone seems to think, don't they? Some kind of mountain-based ship <laughs> would have to be a spaceship or an airship. <laughs> so... <laughs> He drives up and he meets his brother, who's a maintenance worker. What does worker Noah say about this? Anyway, yeah, he meets his brother mate, yeah, who does what? Well, he lets them into a gate after a bit of a. I'm glad you know because I stopped following them at this point completely. It was just washing before my eyes <laughs> at this point of the movie. Yeah, and he leads them deep into a mountain where they've carved into a mountainside, James Bond sort of supervillain style. They've got these massive kind of hangar type things in the Whoa. side of a mountain. And he leads them through. He gets them to the side of one of these enormous ships. And he starts uh, finding his way into the superstructure by opening a little sort of access hatch. But where are the hordes of thousands of people wanting to get on board the ships? Are they there at the same time? or? Well, yes, because arc number three, and I think there are about six of them, Paul, not, not just one. Uh-huh. Arc number three, we, we learn is unserviceable because part of the roof collapsed during an earthquake. And so all of the people who were due to be on Arc 3 are now waiting on the sort of in the mountainside, uh, trying to get on board. This ship is not going anywhere. Now, at this point, at this point, the geologist who's become the acting president of the world, he has a real moment <laughs> of Obamaism. And he shouldn't really let them in because it's probably everybody's gonna, probably going to die if he does. But he's like saying, you know, if our first act in creating our new world as we move bravely <laughs> forward uh, is to deny other people and be cruel, then that would be no way to live. I mean, like, they've just chosen to survive instead of six billion people, yeah? He's just chosen <laughs> to survive instead of six billion people. And now he's he's carping about, you know, killing another 5,000. I don't really understand his logic here at all. And what's more, those people seem to be mostly the people who just had the money to buy a ticket. So it's the billionaires and the oligarchs and the, the Arab oil magnates. Well, he's organised, well, not the geologists, but now he's part of all this thing. So, like, you know, what is going on here in terms of in terms of morality and ethics? I don't know. I, again, it's quite old-fashioned because it just doesn't... It doesn't, it doesn't confront this in any way, does it, as a movie? But what's incredible is six billion people have just died. And at no point in the movie is John Cusack or anybody else reflective of six billion deaths. <laughs> it is just uh, beyond. Well, it's just be, They just motor on through like heroes, you know what I mean? Ah, uh, well, that's not fair because the geologist is going to get a call from his Indian friend who wasn't evacuated when he was expected to be. And he's stuck somewhere. Oh, like, he does India, say, he says, actually, yeah, my friend's about to die, and I feel really bad about that. So can you all be quiet, yeah. please? Yeah. But the Indian has called him. Why has he called him? Why would he call this guy who couldn't get him evacuated? Well, know. because he's, t- he's telling him Swearing about, him, the, about <laughs> the tidal wave that is sweeping across the, the steps, you know, the Indian plains up towards the Himalayas. <laughs> and it's 1,500 metres, is it? 1,500 feet tall? Something like that. As he's as he's as he jumps in the deep end, so to speak. So they they built this mountain top thing uh, in in the Himalayas. Near it's Tibet. not going to work, is it? If the waves come all the way past the steps. Well, it's not going to work if there's a tidal wave that's only fifteen hundred feet high. I mean, how high are the Himalayas? Right, eight thousand meters maximum. So, even if it was fifteen hundred meters high, this wave. It's not really going to flood the entire world, is it? I mean, it's not, they're not going to be able to, as they seem to think, open the doors. And as it turns out, these are not spaceships, but they're actually oh, ship they're ships. ships. And wow. so the idea is that they I really have endure, to stop at this point. They endure the tidal wave by being locked in place. And then they just float away on their floodwaters down to the ocean and... And there you go, it will be fine. To start a new and better life without six billion people, yeah? How brave of them. 
Now, the only problem is there's a little bit of an engineering flaw with the ship, particularly the ship number four, which is where our geologist is and where John Cusack's family are, are inveigling their way in through the maintenance hatch. Because whilst they're getting in through that hatch, the, the one of the guys drops um, like a, a pneumatic drill into an important piece of gearing. It turns out it's the gears. Oh, that's that right. Control Everybody the gets crushed door. to death. I don't know what how that happened. And because this piece of equipment is stuck in the gears, that they can't close the back door properly. And so, uh, as the water starts flooding up the mountains and stuff, and uh, in, in engulfing all these ships, we should have you water, ever this much attention. <laughs> there's water flooding into the ship, and this ship breaks free of its moorings. And the captain explains that they can't start the propellers if the back door is still open. Don't Makes know sense. why. Makes eminent sense. Yeah. Does it? Yeah. The interlock yeah. stops the propellers turning. I've been on a pedalo. I can see it. I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> well, nobody knows how to fix it, but it doesn't matter because the geologist says he'll he'll go down there, even though he's presumably got no skill in engineering or marine <laughs> Richard, science. You mended or... a toilet seat. Come on, you're not. You're... <laughs> You're not a chippy, are you? Or a lecky, or whatever they call Sparky. So the geologist goes down with a guide to tell him which way it is, um, so they can try and manually fix this. And of course, John Cusack realizes the importance of what's going on, so he dives down with his son to help him to extract this pneumatic drill. It's been a really now, busy day not- for John, hasn't it? You know, you think about how his day started. <laughs> like he's been everywhere, he'd done everything. I mean, it's like an adventure <laughs> holidays. It's like Haven Holiday gone, gone ballistic. He's been to Yellowstone twice. <laughs> He's been twice. to Las Vegas. Once in the car, he drove there. Do you know what I mean? He's climbed up the Himalayas. <laughs> I mean, the we're assuming that is, the 1,500 kilometre shift in the tectonic plates has meant the day longer rather than shorter. But still, Herculean, Herculean <laughs> efforts for one day. Just amazing. <laughs> He and his family, and the Tibetan family, uh, and the Russian girlfriend of Yuri, the Russian billionaire, who sacrificed himself for his kids, let's not forget. Yeah. But they're all stuck in the ship that's flooding because the back door is open. <laughs> and they get stuck because the watertight doors close, to, which, you know, are there sensibly in a marine engineering way <laughs> to stop the ship flooding, right? But the thing is... Well, no, I mean, like, if you, if you design it so it's like one of those achieves equilibrium with the water around it kind of ships, then you could let it flood, couldn't you? But the thing is, when the watertight doors close and trap them in these little compartments, the compartments are still flooding. <laughs> <laughs> so in what way are they watertight? How are they supposed to work? Consequently, Russian girl, uh, she dies, doesn't she, because she's stuck in a oh. flooding water tank. And... I think the the others nearly die, but they don't because Cusack manages to get the he, he pulls the cord of the thing out, doesn't he? And it uh, and he manages to get it out. <laughs> well, they're nearly not- safe. <laughs> they're nearly safe, but they nearly crash into the side of Mount Everest. <laughs> <laughs> they just manage to avoid it. They just touch it slightly. A slight dent on the front of the ship is all. I've shown endure. The end of this movie, for, for, for about 10 minutes to where we are now, uh, and uh, maybe another two minutes after this, I was, I was in the car. It's a really, really annoying road works. And I, wasn't, <laughs> I didn't really want to pay attention to the movie, but circumstances prevailing as they were meant that I actually paid no attention to the movie. So, so really, Richard could just be lying at this point. I'd have no idea. <laughs> You think I would make up a bit about them? No, I don't, listen to this. I don't think you could. I don't think you could make it up. No, no, no. <laughs> wouldn't have occurred to me to do this. That's no. the genius of Emmerich, I think. Most people would have rejected this script <laughs> three times over. <laughs> it's like Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig was was denied by the BBC. Really, they're on the third plane of the anyway, day. <laughs> Rich. Tell me we're near the end of the movie now. That is the end of the movie, yeah. It turns out everything's going to be fine. 
the well, Earth is going to be yeah. repopulated by the apart, contents of these. I mean, it's going to be fine apart from apart from for six billion people. You know, I mean, apart from those people, yeah, yeah. it's just incredible. And this is why I say it's an old-fashioned movie. It, it's like it's hard to. It's. I mean, it's really, really hard to take this movie at all seriously, isn't it? I mean, in any in any sense whatsoever. Science gets a really bad rap in this because th- throughout the movie, apart from coming Just out left with to the bloody Mayans, <laughs> exactly, they're also constantly getting it wrong, and the politicians and stuff are always, you know, Correcting they're always the saying. Scientists. Oh, it, it turns out it's going to be like uh, you know six months earlier than we expected. What? <laughs> This has never happened before, for goodness sake. <laughs> How can we predict anything about this? <laughs> but they knew it was coming, you see, and that's why they, they they built their arcs. Look, whatever I think of this movie, it may it was a box office smash. I think mostly for the incredible CGI at the time. Uh, a budget of 200, which is a big budget back then, uh, and uh, made 800 at the at the box office, 800 million. So, 800 so it, it, million? It was a resounding success. Jesus, yeah. that's nearly enough for a ticket on the Ark. <laughs> <laughs> but not quite. It's good to know that everyone involved with this movie would have died if 2012 had really happened. So, so yeah. I mean, whew. Can we score this? Should we score this? I, I don't know. It's time for scores. Hellfire, here we go. Deep breath. <laughs> well, we usually start with acting, don't we? Yeah. Hey, it's got a big I, cast. I, 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 I have to John go Cusack, back to, to my, I have to go back to my apologetic remarks towards actors in this circumstance, which is say actors are constrained by dialogue and by plot. <laughs> they were definitely constrained by these circumstances. I can't upvote them be, more than one vote because of that. Therefore, this is a six for acting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I I liked. Most of the people involved, I like. It's John Cusack's good on screen. I think. Yeah. Thandie Newton was good. I um. Yes, yeah, so I thought I enjoyed the uh, the cast. Um. So. What about the terrible moment where his son won't call him dad, and then afterwards, after this, John Cusack has done all the heroic things, like this is awfully cloying moment where he says, "And dad," he finally calls him dad. I think you know they were constrained by this hacked, this hackneyed. Plot and dialogue, and there's Absolutely. not much you can do oh, with yeah. it, you know. No, completely, completely. I'll give, I'll give it a seven for acting. Okay. Right onto the somewhat tortuous and uh, winding plot, Richard. What did you think about the plotting here? Was it a work of genius, inspired jigsaw of genius? It's fucking nonsense, isn't it? From beginning <laughs> to end, it doesn't make a lick of sense. It's enjoyable it's... nonsense. No, it's not really annoying. No. It's hackneyed as well, isn't it? It's yeah. the you know, d- d- strange old-fashioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god, uh, this is a three, isn't it, for plot? I'm sorry, it's a one. It's my lowest plot ever. Wow, wow, man. Well, w- wait until we do science. <laughs> Before we do that, can we get to the action and special effects? Okay, okay. Uh, the special effects are astounding, completely astounding. They are amazing, even now, aren't they? They are. They're completely held up. I can't think of a scene that really... I mean, okay. So, okay. That 3D was big at the time, and this is obviously shot for 3D, a lot of the aeroplane shots. That first earthquake is a bit... I think it's too big, right? Yeah. That the whole, you know, the whole Los Angeles falling away into huge crevasses. It's just... It's Since too Marvel, big to... we've been in newer to this. We've got used to this, though, haven't we? Since Marvel, the continuous overblown action. Yeah, but as a superhero film, you're expecting it. Aren't yeah, you? I mean, yeah. Uh, in in a Marvel universe, yeah, you can take a city and lift it into the air and then drop it. Fine, but <laughs> I don't believe it in this film, and it's trying to be yeah. a genuine, you know. So is it? Is it trying to be genuine? Maybe not. I don't. Know. <sighs> it's hard to say it- post COVID, isn't it? Because COVID has really changed our perspective on how real disaster movies should be. I think. From now on, we want them really fucking real, don't we? You know, <laughs> maybe not, or maybe yeah. the opposite. We're just complete escapism. But this is somewhere horribly and uncomfortably in the middle, isn't it? Well, no, mm. it's completely unbelievable, but the effects are quite. Let's get convincing. back to the effects, though. I'm just saying, 
the only thing is, it looks a bit too much, doesn't it? Yeah. But it's very convincing for what it is. So the effects are never too shiny. No. You know, I'll give it an eight. Shiny. I'll give it an eight for the special effects. Look, okay. For me, the effects will get ten, but what? the action is the action is too continuous and really drags it down. Therefore, an eight. No, even now, I think even to this day, if you put these effects out today in the cinema, nobody would bat an eyelid and say, "God, those are ten years old." Like you no, look at Harry Potter's effects from even the later ones. They look a bit chunky. Yeah. Beyond that, they look absolutely terrible. Richard, go back and watch <laughs> number one, and number two. All right, listen, we're going to do science now. Mm-hmm. Well, look, there are a couple. There's not of... much science, though, is it? To be fair, you know, they managed to there keep it all. Much, no. They managed to keep it all out of there. They managed to keep it at bay, generally speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, about none of this could work in the way that they're saying. The, the only thing is, there is a giant super volcano under under Yellowstone. That's true. I love the fact that the Earth's plates rotated one thousand five hundred <laughs> kilometers, and then decided to stop. Like you know, like they put the brakes on the merry-go-round or something. Just yeah. wow. This is a two, isn't it? It's not only bad science. It is a two, but for the phrase mutated neutrinos, I'm going to upscore it because I just like, I love the idea of like neutrinos that are alive. Somehow. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So a two for you, Richard, yeah? Two for me. It's not only bad science, it's also insulting to the scientists in it and any scientists who may have advised it. Do you think there were any scientific advisors in this film? Or- I mean, no one would put their name to it, would they? That's the thing. No. And therefore, this film is an act of bravery just because of that. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like you're going to give it a good overall score then. Well, I've just, I've just, <laughs> do you know what, Richard? I've just totted my scores up together to get, you know, an idea of what an average score would be. And it's just not where I want it to be. So uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to have to go with my gut instinct to score it, ignoring the average of my, you know, my composite parts. Uh, and say this is an enjoyable, laughable 3.5. It, it is quite enjoyable. Do you know, out of the two movies that we just watched... Oh, yeah. Um, I, I choose this in, 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 in a flash. So, for that reason, I'm going to go 5. Yeah. You see, that's why score came out to 5. But I just think that there's so many things wrong with the plotting... On so many levels. <laughs> it's and, an insult. It's an insult. The continuous action where the same thing happens. You know, the earth or the water <laughs> or the sky falls out from underneath them just behind where they are. And they just manage to escape it. It happens seven times, Richard. You know, for those reasons. Although it's hilarious to watch. I'm sorry, I can't score your five. So a 3.5 it remains. We haven't even mentioned the cruise ship. <laughs> oh no! Please stop. <laughs> oh, what about the giant U.S. Navy ship that lands on top of the president? Oh, <laughs> uh, that's hubris, isn't it? <laughs> <sighs> yes. So many moments. There are so many moments in this movie that just should not be, and it's testament to the movie going. Movie going audience that that uh, they can make so much money out of this, but there we go. Well, Paul, um, you had some suggestions for the next. Oh hell, I did. Yeah, okay. Now this was a particularly brainless bend that we took, and why not? In almost the same vein, let's continue almost the same vein. Let's head oh. back to some historical franchises that weren't particularly intellectual, that weren't particularly thoughtful, thought provoking, but were very popular. Okay, uh, we've. We visited Cloverfield before and managed to escape. I'm suggesting we climb over that wall uh, and head back into the Cloverfield uh, metaverse to watch Cloverfield Paradox 2018. That's my first suggestion, Richard. Hold it there whilst I introduce the next selection. Paranormal was a huge, huge franchise. So any of the paranormal activity, uh, I'm guessing number one, it is a good movie. Uh, We could revisit that. Finally, number three, uh, It Follows say very little about that because I know very little about that uh, along with the Korean hit Parasite which is completely different to any of these suggestions so a mixed bag Richard potpourri to stick your nose in and uh, hopefully come up with something look 
Korean media is big right now. We've done an entire Korean series. We have. We did a film as well, didn't we? Yeah, with uh, three. We've got to do. We've got to do Parasite. Yes, you've made my day. Brilliant, excellent. So until next time, that's all from us. <laughs> it's bye from me. It's bye from him. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.